This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. Unethical human experiments conducted on mostly black prisoners at Holmesburg Prison. This prison was known as the Terror Dome. During its heyday, it was a source of extreme violence. It is now inactive. But between the 1950s and the 1970s, it was the site of horrid experimentation conducted by a University of Pennsylvania faculty member. Approximately 300 men were exposed to herpes, fungus, asbestos, LSD, skin blistering chemicals, radioactive isotopes, and many more. It is a damn shame. We actually have two individuals who are adversely impacted by this experimentation on black bodies. Let's bring them to the show. We have Adrian Jones Alston as a reentry advocate, and also her father suffered abuse at that very same prison. We also have Herbert Rice, retired from the Philadelphia Recreation Department after 30 years, and was an inmate, was incarcerated at that prison for two years. He has something to say as well. Thank you both for being on the program, which it was under better circumstances. How are you? Hi, hello, Dr. Richie. Thank you for providing us this platform to share our stories. We really appreciate it. Thank you for being here, Mr. Rice. Thank you for being here as well. You're welcome, sir. I want to actually start with you, Mr. Rice. Um, there's a quote that's attributed to you. It says, "Quote: They put some kind of radiation on my back in four places. When my skin." came back, it was like leather. You were a prisoner there for roughly two years. You said the worst experience involved a series of pills. Quote, what was told to me afterward was that it was full of some type of living organism inside of these pills you were taking. Talk about your experience. How did this program work? Okay, um, Mr. Ritchie, um, back in 1967, I came to Holmesburg Prison. I was, I was a young kid, you know, and I, um, my family didn't have a lot of money to be sending me for commissary and stuff like that. So you had to find your way to our, um, make it in jail. So I ran into some friends of mine that got me transferred over to H Block, is where they had all the tests. And on that block, the horror of living started for me. Uh, and like you said, the uh, it was a radiation study. They put circles on your back, and the and the radiation would take your um, skin down to the white meat, and, and then they would put some kind of salves on it to bring it back. 
um, when they brought the, brought it back to my the color of my original skin, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep on my back. And it went on for about maybe six or seven months. I never got comfortable with it. Um, and when you talk about the uh, metabolic study, that was a study where they gave you pills uh, with foreign organisms in it. And you was observed. They took me off the H block and took me to the hospital block along with other inmates. And you was observed for about three or four days to see what kind of changes you would go through. The changes for me didn't happen at Holmesburg Prison. It happened after I got out. Uh, the other tests that I took was on my forearm. They would put some kind of, uh, they would take a needle and shoot some kind of stuff under my skin that made it blister. And once it blistered, they would take these shears and cut that skin off and put it in jars and would put salve on your arm to kind of make you comfortable. Uh, one of the other tests that I took was uh, um, uh, when they made four incisions on the left side of my body, on my ribs, and they sewed me up with different materials, like red material, blue material, gray material. And that material was for uh, uh, the hospitals. Like in the, in the operating room where you've seen all white, well, they were using other colors, and they wanted to see if you would get, if, if, if a person would get infected from these colors on, this, on the uh, operating room. So they used us for that. So I never got infected. Uh, Nothing went wrong, no more than the cuts, the four cuts on the side. And another test that I took was a milkshake study where you didn't get no food. They just gave you a waffle waffle and a milkshake for about 30 days. They wanted to see if they could contain your weight. Um, uh, When I went away, as a result of the... um, the Holmesburg ride, they transferred me to another prison. And that's when I started to feel effects, which I didn't know at the time, uh, from all them tests that I took, especially that are uh, the metabolic tests. I started to have nightmares. Um, it got so bad that within that time period, between 1970 and 71, all the way up until about 205, I went to three different mental institutions. And what they told me, I was bipolar. What I knew was more than that bothered me. Uh, as a result of meeting Miss Jones, uh, I was having nightmares for over 35, 40 years, and I didn't know where it was coming from. Uh, uh, it changed my whole personality. I turned on my family. I turned on my kids. I turned on my wife, which I lost. You know, and thank God I got them back. But I paid a price. Uh, it was like living in a horror story. Uh, to regurgitate this is very painful for me. So please excuse me. So uh, no apology necessary. Uh, I didn't know at the time what this stuff was. I almost made the mistake of taking an LSD test study. What turned me around from that is that when I went to apply for it, it had a note on the door, please wait out the lunch. So I stood there and waited for this person to come back. But in the process of doing that, this guy came up on me, and I was only 23 years old. And he said, young buck, don't take this test. And when I looked him in the face, his eyes was going left to right, left to right, right, and it scared me half to death. 
and I, uh, I didn't take it. But uh, from all over the years, I have had all, I have reoccurrences, nightmares with this stuff. I never went out to get mental help, but as a result of that, I, I got help for my drug and alcohol. The drugs and alcohol kept me out of the horror of what I went through. Mm. It was like it was more comfortable being high than being in reality. Wow. Uh, Sir, yes. the, the courage that you have to tell this uh, story um, is commendable. Um, I want to go to the the advocate for a moment, and then Mr. Rice, I'm going to come back to you. Sure. I have a follow-up question. Sure. Um, Ms. Uh, Adrian Jones uh, Alston, your father was part of this experimentation and your account of an incident where you saw something on his back that made you literally run away from your own dad because you thought he was transforming into a monster. Can you give us some insight into that? And what have you learned being an advocate since then? Yes, I can recall that event, that particular day that you're talking about. I was about five or six years old when my father returned home from Holmesburg. My father uh, was our breadwinner, you know, and he went away and when he came back, I was so excited to see him. But anyway, I, I found myself walking into the bedroom this particular day and he had his shirt off. For some odd reason, I never saw his, I didn't see his shirt off. But anyway, I walk in and he had his shirt off and his back was turned to me. And what I saw looked like a outbreak of the picture that they show us now, the, um, what monkey pox would look like. Anyway, it was all it was everywhere and it was oozy and I looked at it and it scared me because you know I'm a child with an animated mind and I thought he was turning into a monster because that's how hideous it was. Picture a five or six year old looking at something like that on the body of their of one of their parents. I looked at his back, I froze. I turned around and I ran out the room. I ran past my mother and I was like, oh I, I, you know, I was crying, you know, I was upset and I I didn't want to look at him. You know, I ran for my father, so I was afraid of him for a while because, you know, I didn't know what was going on. That was just strange to me to see all those sores. And uh, it was just a horrible uh, situation. But when my father passed away about five years ago, I was contacted by a professor from the University of Penn who was doing some a write up on Dr. Albert Kligman. And he said, every time I pull up Dr. Kligman on the internet, your father comes up with him. And so, and uh, he said, so I found you, you know, through social media, because I set up a memorial page for my father on Facebook in memory of Leotis Jones. So he reached out to me through Messenger and I responded. He said, so I would like to talk to you about this. But by that professor uh, contacting me, I knew that it was something you know, important. I always knew my father was doing advocate work, but I never knew the, uh, the the death of it. You know, so I started talking to him and I started doing more research and, and I started, and then I reached out to Alan Hornblum who wrote the book, Eggers of Skin. He wrote the book about the experiments. I reached out to him through social media and we connected and I started finding out more and I just started digging. And then I realized that 
this was bigger than what I thought. So I start talking to other people, I organize a march, and then I organize another event the following year at the Holmesburg Prison Wall to commemorate what happened there. And after that, uh, survivors started reaching out to me, and um, I met Mr. Herb. I met it's a, it's a few more of them. It's the last surviving woman of the experiments. Um, she's so messed up mentally that she wants to talk. Another day, she's yelling at me because she's it, it, it takes her into a mode where I won't even reach out to her because I don't even want to take her through that. Right. You know, I teared up listening to Mr. Rice because I saw my father. You know, my mm-hmm. father never talked about the experiments because my father was a proud man and, I, and I'm sure he was embarrassed. You know, Leotis Jones was a strong man and nobody played him. And at that point, I know he was embarrassed about what he allowed himself to go through. But uh, the damage with my family, like Mr. Herb described, uh, my father became violent. It uh, ended the marriage. I saw a lot of things a child should not see. I was scored for life. I kind of checked out on life. Uh, when I became old enough to run away from home after they separated, I did that. My life went into a downward spiral. The nightmares that he, I had different nightmares. I remember the abuse, the separation. You know, children don't understand that, but that tore my life apart. You know, so my life went through a downward spiral well into my adulthood. I experienced incarceration, you know, so. I, getting back, getting back to Mr. Herb and the survivors, I realized that this is something that has to be done. So I made myself a voice for the voiceless. Some of them are there. The some survivors won't even talk about it because they're still embarrassed. Some of them still haven't talked to their families about what they allowed themselves to go through the Holmesburg. So. Listen to Mr. Rice, he said he held that in for 50 years until he met me and he started talking about it. His healing just started. That's why it's important to do stories like this. And that's why it's important to have opportunities to engage thoughtfully, mm-hmm. authentically, truthfully about what has occurred. I'm going to ask you a question as an advocate. How many people do you think were involved in this experiment? Oh. It's well into the thousands, I believe so, because not only did Dr. Clinton experiment on the uh, Holmesburg prison uh, men and men, he went to the detention center where it was men and women. And it was another prison, it was three prisons that he uh, frequented in Philadelphia. He also went to the uh, children's group home that was in New Jersey, and he experimented on mentally challenged children. Those children were in the ice, and they were, institutionalized, of course, away from the public eye because these are the places that this man went and took advantage of the vulnerable. He also went to the nursing homes where human beings were on their deathbed and had to be subject to his unethical thoughts. You know what, I I I can't imagine wanting to just have peace until I meet my maker and here he come with needles and scrapers messing with my fragile body. You know, a lot of some people say, well, those inmates, they did crimes and maybe they should have did that. Okay, well, let's talk about the children. You know, let's everybody. Talk about those children and those senior citizens. Everybody deserves um, to be treated with um, yes. basic humanity. And th- this is obviously criminal. Now, under what authority was he able to strike these MOUs with the warden or these agreements with the facility director? Under what authority did he walk into these establishments with? Well, he, uh, of course, permissions were given. The city gave permission. 
the, uh, the, the I'm sure the uh, jail officials gave permissions. You know, he didn't just walk in there and do what he wanted to do. People, he had to get permission to do it. So, uh, who was he funded by? Somebody's paying for this. Who was paying? He was funded by his um, the same place that gave that uh, gave him his doctorates. He worked for University of Penn. He was paid by over thirty something, and I'm sure the number is bigger than that. Yeah, over thirty something pharmaceutical companies paid him to do experiments to try out their different chemicals on these people to see how they worked. Have they responded officially to their connection to this mad scientist? Uh, who engaged in criminal actions against human bodies? Have they responded? Have those pharmaceutical companies, has the university responded? The uh, the university gave an apology uh, for, for the part they played in it. But other than that, not one pharmaceutical company said anything. All right, let me go back to Mr. Rice. Uh, Mr. Rice, once again, I appreciate your courage I'm coming on the Thank show you. today, okay? Thanks. Um, you now, Meet an advocate, you get more answers because of the opportunity to engage and understand what actually happened and how this has adversely impacted your life. Naturally, there are other people who were with you being experimented on at that time. Do you currently have contact with any of them? And if so, do they have similar experiences like nightmares from that experimentation? Um, the men. That was with me, that was close to, they're all dead. Wow. They all died from different, like one guy killed himself, a guy hung himself, you know, uh, and, um, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, um, there was a guy that was in this book from Alan uh, Hornblum, his name was Snooky Vaughn, and, uh, um, as I know it, on H Block, I seen a major. He he didn't dress in military clothes. He dressed in regular street clothes, but he was a major from the United States Army. He never involved himself with none of the inmates. When we seen him coming, we used to call him Doctor Death. Um, I don't know his name, but I but but guards had told me he was a major in the United States Army, and uh, um. And I seen other individuals come in and out of that place. And we was used, man. But all I could think about was the money. You know what I mean? Because I needed commissary. I needed to buy soap. I needed to buy cigarettes. I needed to buy this. You know, because if you didn't have some type of way of making money in jail, you would find yourself in a homosexual situation. Holmesburg was no joke during that time. Because in 1963, when I was 18 years old, they sent me to Holmesburg, and I seen guys with these cups on their head. You know, I seen all these cups on their head. And I, I said, man, what, what is, what are them guys got cups on their head? And come to find out, they was injecting stuff into people's brain. You know, this is wow. something that I witnessed. This let is me, something that I witnessed, and I put my life on the line for it. Let me ask you this, and I still suffer mentally. You know, uh, about two weeks ago, I called Adrian and I couldn't talk to her. And I stayed like that for about two or three days. Every now and then, it comes up and I shut down. You know, and you I stay physically. You you can't utter the words. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, let, let me let me back up to something you just, you said uh, about um, the military official. Do you think that this was some kind of operation that also included the federal government as well? And that may have been the catalyst to giving this mad scientist such access to various yes, services. Most definitely, the LSD test was ran by the United States Army and everybody knew it. That's right. All right, what has been the legal advocacy? And Mr. Rice, I want to ask you first, in case there is a legal route here to hold individuals accountable criminally or civilly. Are you aware of an effort? Is there a class action taking place now? Wrongful death lawsuits in the works. What's happening with the cases? If well, I can't answer that, Well, only Ms. Jones can. Because I got involved in this because I wanted to expose something that I've been holding back for 50 years and it's been killing me. Yeah. You know, and far as all reparations and stuff like that, that's Mrs. Jones' field. Okay. All I want to do is tell the truth and expose what happened to me and others and their families. Ms. Jones? Yes. Um, right now, there's no legal, <clears throat> we have no one to represent us because. We have talked to, I have talked to a few lawyers and the problem is the statute of limitations. And then there's also the judge that threw the case out. Well, that's the same thing, but I don't know what it is. No one has no one has stepped up to represent, you know, okay. these guys and, and, and the rest of us, you know, the family members, the descendants. So uh, we're still looking and as far as reparations, we're exploring our options right now. I'm going to do something um, right after the show today. Um, I'm gonna send this segment to United States Senator John Ossoff, um, who sits, um, sits on a committee that investigates prisons. He's been very effective uh, in many of these investigations. I'm gonna also utilize whatever leverage, whatever, um, Whatever I can add to this, mm-hmm. to get someone to advocate in the justice system for you. The statute of limitation dynamic is interesting because typically a jurisdiction will say, well, the statute of limitation doesn't really start until you discover that there has been a crime committed against you. So if your discovery, is recent as far as criminal conduct being committed against you. That should start the statute of limitation countdown. But I will make sure that an attorney has this today. Um, Before we part, Mr. Rice, are there any words you would like to offer those who will see this, want to become advocates with you, support you? Well, guys like myself that are still living, we want to get some kind of mental help. You know, I reached out to get mental help and uh, I got scared because of, I thought they were gonna put me back yeah. in the mental places, you know? And they wanted to give me all kind of different stuff that made me feel weird. Even today, like I told uh, uh, Ms. Jones, I just want some help. Yeah. That's all I want. I don't know nothing about the money and stuff like that, but I want the families that suffered as a result of what happened to us. Because I did a lot of stuff to my family. Because one of my daughters told me I was a, 
a monster. That's what she called me, a monster. And I guess that's what it was at the time. And, um, and I'm not all that healthy, but um, I get along, you know. Yeah. I don't be around a lot of people and stuff, you know, more or less than my family because they help me a lot. But the uh, the tragedy that happened to people like myself, you know, I, I, we just want help. That's all. I don't know about nothing else, but I would like to have help. Um, can I? Yes. Okay. Uh, what I did was um, I realized the importance of this particular uh, issue. So I started up a, a 501c3 nonprofit called Jones Foundation for Returning Citizens. And that's the home of the um, Holmesburg Prison Survivors Network. That's what we call it. So we're doing a lot of work from there. We set up uh, we setting up programs, trying to get ready to apply for funding. We have uh, different people on our board. You know, people are getting at we getting getting it together. We have a website set up, so you, we can be reached through our website, Jones Foundation for Returning Citizens Inc. That's our. Um, I'm sorry, JonesFound09.com is our website address, so we can be reached from that. Um, I, I I think that you have a email address. Um, I have contact information, but the website is our primary uh, way of being reached. Should anyone become interested in uh, supporting us, you know, helping us get from point A to point B, because apparently there's an elephant in the room. That's right. <laughs> you know That's what right. I'm saying? <laughs> so, but this I, has to be done. It has to be done. Um, the Henrietta Lacks Foundation support us. They're, they paid my college tuition last year, and they also paid off my uh, student loans. Um, another uh, descendant of the survivors uh, got college tuition through the Henrietta Lacks Foundation. So they're also being supportive. And as a matter of fact, we're going to be at Howard University in November. I'll send you the information. We'll be speaking We'll be speaking in a, at a conference, you know, talking about our stories. It'll be myself representing the Holmesburg Prison Survivors, and it'll be some survivors there. The Henrietta Lacks family, we're waiting for a confirmation. The Tuskegee Syphilis descendants will be there. So uh, I'll send you guys the information so you'll have it in case someone asks us about that. I appreciate the courage, I appreciate the advocacy. Um, if there's an update, we definitely want you to come back uh, as it relates to the legal issues and the um, holding people accountable. Um, mm -hmm. I will do all I can. I, I was touched by this story from day one. Uh, it was unbelievable, but believable uh, that this happened once again to those who are historically marginalized in our society. Uh, to Mr. Rice, to Ms. Jones, thank you both. We will definitely welcome. have you back very thank soon, you. but we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right. All right. All right. I'm going to ask everybody to do all you can. Do y'all all you can to make sure you advocate for people <clears throat> who have been harmed in such a way. <clears throat>